1: Terms and conditions apply.
2: The numbers told the story, they always do. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. This
1: is a numbers game with Gil Alexander on VSIN.
2: It is a Monday edition of a numbers game here on Vison and I am Matt Brown. I'm not Gil Alexander, filling in for your friend and mine, still enjoying. This is a slower time in the sports betting calendar, so good on Gil. He'll be back before you know it. Kelly Bidlin behind the glass, Sean on the ones and twos. We'll talk to Paul Sporer a little bit later on about all things baseball, and got to ask him, the drum's getting beaten right now for uh, Shohei Otani to leave over there in California. Want to see what he thinks about that as well. But first and foremost, it is coming off of a weekend in which talks a lot of t- – I know you guys talk a lot of tennis here on a numbers game, and so – We need to give credit where credit is due, and Carlos Alcaraz goes out and captures his first Grand Slam title over at Wimbledon in pretty much an instant classic against Novak Djokovic. And if you take a look at what we saw this past weekend from Carlos Alcaraz, this was more than just the win. This was more to me than just him being able to capture his first Grand Slam title. This was a kid, and he is a kid. Make no mistake, he is a kid who went out in a – environment in which he is going up against one of the greatest, if not the greatest of all time, gets absolutely trounced in the first set. Most people, lesser people, would have at that point looked across the net and said, man, I'm going up against the GOAT. He just crushed me in this first set. It's not for me. Maybe next year. I'm going to get a lot of these. I'm going to be in these finals all over the place here over the next several years. I'm not going to get this one today. And instead, what this kid does, absolutely mentally, absolutely mentally as strong as I have seen in tennis in quite some time, comes back and ends up beating Novak Djokovic and, and finds himself in a bad position even in the second set and was able to pull it out. And you look beyond just what you see in the physical skills for Carlos Alcaraz. There's absolutely no denying that. You knew that he was going to get grand slams somewhere along the way. And by the way, this is the first of many for him. You look at the age. You look at the physical attributes. You look at everything that he brings to the table. This is the first of many. There's no doubt about that. But was it going to happen yesterday? Was it really going to happen after going and losing that first set the way that he did, and you kind of thought that maybe it wasn't. There was at least some doubt that crept into your mind that Novak Djokovic had come out and was just going to absolutely destroy this kid one last time, and then maybe everyone was looking for the passing of the torch. Everyone was looking for the next big thing, and maybe that was going to happen next year. Maybe that happens two years from now. Instead, what we get is him coming back and winning this thing in a five-setter that, like I said, was an instant, in my opinion, an instant classic, and you go beyond what you just see from a physical skill set on the court, the mental toughness, the way that he was able to adjust after the first set. And that's the other thing that if you were listening to the broadcast, you understood because they did point it out. But if you weren't listening very closely, if it was a second screen experience for you, you also saw a maturity from a very, very young player to go out and realize that the strategy that he was employing in that first set was not working. It was not the aggressive approach that he needed to be going after because that was not going to win him this first title. And he makes the pivot in the middle of a match in order to where he was being less aggressive. He was playing a little bit more of, hey, let me see if Novak might make a mistake here along the way. Let me see if me me hitting it in the net or hitting it out, maybe if I can reel back in some of these mistakes, this could actually work for me. And, and, And that, to me, Kelly, whenever we were looking yesterday, beyond again beyond the physical stuff, so we already knew the physical stuff. The kid gets to every single ball. He's got a massive. He's got a you know one hundred and twenty-eight mile an hour first so Like there's everything that you would ever look for in a player. We already knew all of that, but being able to make the mid-match adjustment, being able to come back from getting just pummeled in the first set, all of those things yesterday for me, that was more, that was more impressive because again. He was going to get the grand slams. That was coming. I knew that was coming somewhere down the line. If it wasn't going to be yesterday, it was certainly going to be very very soon. But him able him being able to overcome what happened there, him being able to make the in-match adjustment. This is maturity beyond his years, which lets you know what we are about to get, you know, in this kind of next generation of tennis because let's make no mistake. This is now we're kind of moving into the Post Big Three, if you want to call it Big Four, if you want to add Andy Murray in there, but we are moving into the the post Big Three era right now, and Carlos Acaraz is certainly going to be the face of that era.
3: Yeah, it's the uh, the old changing of the guard. Looks like it might be occurring, uh, or we might be in the midst of that, right, Matt? But the so I picked this. I picked it up in the second set. I, mm-hmm. I missed the first set. So watching him battle back just right away to win that second set, and then go on and win the third set, six one, and then watching Novak bounce back a bit, it was. What what was so great about that match? I thought was, and you get this in sports from time to time, and you don't get it all the time. But it was, when whenever we talk about changing the guard or something like that. It was Djokovic wasn't gonna let him have it, right? Like he fought to the bitter end. It was if you're gonna if you're gonna take this from me, you got to go out here and take it from me, and that's exactly what Alcaraz did. And it was it was fantastic watching. I think anybody who's even just a mild tennis fan was into that yesterday. It, it, it was. It was a sporting event at an elite level that you rarely get to see. And that and that was the best way I could put it. It was Djokovic left everything out there. It was, kid, you want to be next? You got to take me down right now. And that that's what he did yesterday. Yeah. That's what he did.
2: And I should say for first Wimbledon title is where I was going with this. But it, you knew that those were coming. And and what I also saw in, in Alcaraz, and this was another thing here, Kelly, whenever we take a look and, and we try to figure out what we're getting here in this next kind of generation if I were to set you an over-under right now, and if I were to set you an over-under on number of grand slams for Carlos Acaraz over the next, you know, l- listen, we're going to assume health. We always have to assume health. We can't assume injury. It's the same thing we talk about whenever we do player projections for the NFL, right? Is what about if I set it at 14 and a half, right? Because, again, we we see these guys getting into the 20s in the big three, and this is one of those deals where the longevity that we saw from, Federer, from Nadal, from Djokovic. We can't just assume that type of longevity is going to happen for any of these players moving forward. We didn't see it previously. We don't know that it's going to happen moving forward. If I said it at 14 and a half, I think most people would say over. Yeah. But... It's not like, it's not a given, right? I mean, it's, it's, I think that's a great reminder. It's right different. Yep. It's different. Like, I think because we look at, at what we saw with the Federers and the Nadals and the Djokovic's of the world and just assume that everyone's going to be able to play into their mid 30s. And that's just really has not been the case in tennis. Now, fitness is different for sure. Fitness and in, in understanding one's body, the way that people are able to rehab and all of that. Like, these are things in which you're, you understand, right? Like, these are things in which you get as, as, as the sport progresses, as athletes progress, that this is always going to get much better. But uh, you know, nagging injuries happen. Uh, it's, little thing. We've already seen Al Kress have to miss some time, right, with a nagging injury. And, and so you just look, I think 14 and a half people say, oh, that's going to be over no matter what. He's obviously, he's obviously going to get there. Yeah, he just picked up number one at age the, 20. The, the, next, come on, the, yeah. the next guy the next guy is coming along, right? I mean, like, there will be another guy. Like, right now, we don't see who is that. Who, who can we point at and say, like, oh, well, that's definitely going to be this, this this huge rivalry moving forward. I mean, sure, we have some good players that are out there that are not as young nearly as Alkraz is. And so now you look and you say, okay, well, he's going to have an easier path than these other three guys did maybe, I mean, that that certainly could be the, maybe I will put that out and maybe that certainly could be the case, but there's always going to be the next guy. I mean, maybe that guy doesn't show up for another 18 months or or two years or whatever, but there's going to be someone else come through there. And so it was an interesting debate that I was having yesterday with, with a couple of my friends who are, who are big tennis players. So I was like, you know, what if I set it at 14 and a half and they're like, Oh, overall day long, overall, it's, he has no competition. It's definitely happening. I'm sure some of these books will put up a novelty one somewhere along right, yeah. somewhere along the way. Yeah, lock up your money for the next decade or something if you want to do that. But um, I do believe though it's it's a little less cut and dry than I think most people want to admit. Whenever we're going into this and, and thinking, oh, 14, yeah, 15, he'll get to 15 no matter no matter what. Look at his skill level. Look at how young he is. But again, this is this is not as cut and dry as it is because the, the longevity of a career is not necessarily what you got out of Djokovic, what you got out of Nadal, what you got out of Federer.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that's easily translatable over to the NFL too, right? Something we got to keep in mind that everybody can't be Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and what they're playing to. And if no matter how great Joe Burrows looked early in his career, it doesn't mean he's going to be able to do the same things at the age 39, age 40. Uh, We kind of take some of that stuff for granted. Just uh, spinning this forward a little bit to the U.S. Open. Uh, DraftKings odds,
2: Novak plus 125, Alcaraz plus 150. That changed over the course of yesterday morning. So (laughs) that was, Alcaraz was as high as plus 260 uh, yesterday morning. And then, of course, as the match continued, the bets bets came bets. bets came in and the bets came in and the bets came in. And that leaves us to where we're sitting right now with all of that, so that's uh, that was certainly certainly interesting as well. Over in the golf world, ever, everyone was sleeping, and Roy McElroy won a tournament, and it's kind of like the two biggest wins on the PGA Tour this year, Kelly, no one saw, because the, <laughs> the two faces of the PGA Tour, essentially, it would be hard to argue there are two more popular players than Roy McIlroy and, and Ricky Fowler. Both of them win tournaments that no one sees. Ricky Fowler's had to be moved because of weather concerns and stuff, and same kind of deal here with Rory, but it would have been a weird time change was anyway, don't know if people would have been tuning in, but the the two guys they needed to win both win, and nobody saw it happen. Yeah, exactly. It was that was a hell of an ending, too. Like, that was
3: uh, yeah, the 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 time change sucked. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I was looking forward to uh, to having to wake up real early to watch it, but whatever, wouldn't have been as, as bad as what it ended up being for viewership here in the U.S. Um. Bobby back an incredible eighteenth hole and then Rory comes out of, I mean I don't want to say out of nowhere, but comes back and birdies birdie birdie last two holes. Both approach shots those guys hit on eighteen were I mean those were shots you remember forever and Man, Robert McIntyre. Did you end up having a bet on him? I know no. you talked about it on Long Shots. <laughs> no. I, okay. Anybody listening to Long Shots,
2: it's like, you know, the only other guy that steps out stands out to me is is Bob McIntyre, but I'm not going to have a bet on that guy. Like, whatever. And then, of course, he he goes off. and I, It's almost a blessing to me that he didn't win the tournament. That would have been a FOMO yeah. bet for sure. But, yeah, I mean, we're sitting here uh, looking at Rory McElroy And, Kelly, we'll, we'll continue this in into, the into next segment and, and talk a little bit more about this as we move on. But... Does this mean anything for us as we head into this weekend? Do we take anything from that? Is there something that we are going to grasp onto that might lead us towards one of these bets on one of the shorter shots? Or do we kind of keep on with what we've been doing and avoiding the top of the board? we will discuss that when we come back here on a numbers game.
0: numbers game on v the sports betting network
2: Or terms and conditions, you got to be 21 or older and physically located here in Nevada. Please gamble responsibly. If you have a gambling problem, 1-800-522-4700. So we go to break. Kelly, we were talking a little bit about what happened overseas and, you know, again, no one saw, they had to move this, they had to move the tee times up. There was going to be incredible amounts of, of weather coming through over there. Weather still played a big part of the Scottish open as it was anyway, but we didn't see the scores nearly like we saw the first three rounds. Now we did see kind of the round of the, of the day by Bob McIntyre goes 600 just wasn't quite enough. He gets run down by Rory McIlroy, Rory McIlroy does hoist the trophy as we head into the open championship. I discussed this a little bit yesterday, uh, yesterday morning, Kelly, over on on VEASAN, and I want to get your opinion on this since we do do long shots. By the way, anywhere you get your podcast, uh, for me, I'm not really taking a ton away from this tournament this past week, nor am I penalizing people for the tournament this past week either. What we do see is a guy who's been lurking all year long. I mean, like, it's not a surprise that Rory was able to win a tournament, right? I mean, Rory has perennially, has basically week in, week out, sat there and been at the top of the leaderboard over and over and over and over again. So uh, it doesn't surprise me in the least bit. It also doesn't surprise me that we saw some big names miss the cut either, because we saw a lot of guys, and they, this will come out over the course of the week that we're using this tournament as more of a warm-up tournament. And you and I discussed that on Long Shots as well, right? I mean, listen, Rory, the reason he won the tournament because he pulled out a two-iron. You know, yeah. like, I mean, he, didn't even, he never carry it doesn't carry a two-iron ex- any any time of the year except for this this tournament. Yeah, pulled it and, out of the garage for this. Yeah, yeah. like pulls out a two-iron, hits a you know one of the shots of the year again that no one saw, but it was just it was unbelievable to dart through the weather that was going on over there. And birdie 17 and 18 and pass Robert McIntyre and go ahead and take this home. So, I mean, my question to you is just overreaching as we end up into, you know, the Open Championship here. Are you now higher on Rory? Are you higher on some of the guys that finished well throughout the course of this tournament? Or are you down on some of the guys that got cut? Or is it like a? will eh, look at it as a glorified warm-up?
3: Uh, I think you got to be, I, I, I think I would take I would give more to Rory winning that thing than taking away from mm-hmm. some of those guys that missed the cut, like you're talking about. I think if you're if you were interested in betting someone like a Rory, um, I'm trying to think who else. Rory, maybe even a Terrell Hatton or or someone like that. Just seeing them. I don't know Haddon's been informed, but seeing Rorty not only, not only get informed, but mm-hmm. get informed with a win, right? And roll into the open, coming off the heels of a win, I think this feel, at least for me, Matt, this feels a lot more like we're talking we were talking about maybe around the masters of like, hey, this is a big three that we're gonna have at this tournament. With Rorty, yes, winning a tournament, it does feel more like that instead of a you know, maybe a big two and a half, right? John Rom, Scotty Scheffler, and then Rory a little bit in there too. But I think him getting that win last week,
2: yeah, it makes it makes me feel a little bit more confident in him. We will talk uh in depth a little bit more about this later on and and certainly long shots will have a big preview of this, but I do want to highlight you you mentioned Scotty Scheffler. So Scotty Scheffler, T threes yesterday at the Renaissance Club, by the way. Not the Renaissance, the Renaissance, Renaissance Club. T yep. three. So since January the 8th. This, this this is unbelievable. Whenever we talk about this, you can see, if you're watching at home, a tweet from, from Justin Ray, the great Justin Ray, who always is coming through with the statistics. that says Scotty Scheffler finished in the top five and seven consecutive starts on the PJ Tour. Last player to have a streak of those top fives that long was Tiger Woods, of course. But if you go back to January, T7, T11, outright win. T12, T4, outright win. Solo fourth. T10, T11, T5, T2, T3, outright third, outright third, T4, T3. That is the most ridiculous run. I mean, I get it. There's only two wins in there. And you, if you want to sit there and poke holes in the season that Scotty Scheffler is having, you could say the guy's only won twice. I will agree. Or I could say the guy finished tied for third at Colonial, losing four and a half strokes to the field. I could say the guy got an outright third, at Muirfield Village, losing eight and a half strokes putting to the field. If I could tell you at the Renaissance Club, he T3s, losing 2.2 strokes to the field putting. So what he's doing in every single aspect of the game is mind-boggling right now. And if he was even putting at average, if he was just an average putter, Kelly, we might have five to six wins for Scotty Scheffler on tour this year. This is this is unbelievable.
3: It, it really is. I mean, I think you could break it down as okay. Through all of those tournaments you just named, give me what you what would it at what would the average top twenty odds equal out to? Like minus one thirty over that time, right. something like that. He's
2: printing money, for and you.
3: you just cashed every single yeah. one of them. Yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying I bet that way. I'm not yeah. saying you've bet that
2: way, but if you have, you've cashed every single yeah. one of those bets. He's just he he was an he's been an ATM mm. so far this season. Look, the odds are a top 10 finish in the open is probably going to be in my account, right? I mean, like, it's just one of those things where this guy, I I understand, you want him to close. We like to hit the outrights. We love those tickets. We love to be able to do the victory laps. But, man, you can really still make some money playing the placement market stuff. And, And Scotty Scheffler has been an ATM. There's no doubt about that. Side note, Kelly, in the golf world. Steph Curry goes out. He wins the American Century Championship, uh, eagles 18 to get it done. So the best shooter of all time also throws darts out on the golf course and eagles hole eagles the 18th hole to get it home to uh, to beat Marty Fish. And it's just unfair. Life is unfair. That's all I can say. Life is unfair. You're sitting there watching Steph, who's just drilling down the middle of the fairway. They're on. They're up there in, at Edgewood. If you don't know, it's up in Tahoe. It's right on. Right on the lake. It's a gorgeous course, awesome setting, cool atmosphere, all of this. And here comes Steph, just eagling 18 to win this tournament. Uh, I, I don't know what else to say. It's just, it's life's unfair. Yeah, what, what do you have? A hole in one on Saturday. Yeah, a hole in yeah. one. He has to. He had to eagle by the way to win. Yes, eighteen. Yeah. And he does. He was trailing Marty Fish by three. Now he could have birdied and that would have gone to a playoff, et cetera. So, but like he had the Eagle to win, and of course the Eagles to, to win. He also he also
3: does the abs the the constant Steph thing of the ball's not even in the cup yet and he's throwing the putter up in the air because he knows he made it. I'm like what? I like just, you're like, you should have to play way more golf before you're doing something like
2: I mean, that. I just it's just it's just unfair. Like I mean, the guy <laughs> the greatest shooter in NBA history, and he's also out there just throwing darts on the, on the golf course as well. So congrats to him. Tony Romo, who won the thing last year, ended up in eighth place. So, these guys that are good at golf are, are good at golf. These guys that go and golf whenever they get done with whatever sport they are playing. So, one of the big news that came out yesterday as well, Kelly, was we got DeAndre Hopkins' landing spot. And that apparently is going to be the Tennessee Titans. The Tennessee Titans are going to sign him to a two-year deal, according to basically every one of the insiders out there. And so... DeAndre Hopkins lands in a spot in which I think we kind of minimally scratch our head because I don't think that there's a clear path to the Super Bowl. I think there was at least some some thought out there that he would take less money, end up with the Chiefs at least for a season – And catch passes from Patrick Mahomes and then maybe get kind of the Juju Smith-Schuster treatment where, hey, Patrick Mahomes is going to make you look better no matter what. Patrick Mahomes is going to get the ball in your vicinity more times than most quarterbacks are. And that's going to make you look a little bit better even in your declining age and your declining skill set. And with that, you end up cashing in massively and uh, that's not the case. He's going to head to Tennessee, it seems. And for Tennessee, what this has done, not really a ton. We're looking at plus 380-ish odds, I think, out there right now. This had gotten down yesterday into about the plus 330 market, so we might have had some some correction here in this one. But the Jags had drifted, started to drift back a little bit. I know you and I are, are on the Jags here. I think a lot of people are looking at this division as kind of a two-team race, as it was anyway I don't know necessarily for me if this makes the Titans that much better in my opinion or or if the only thing it does is kind of widen the gap at least a little bit between the Titans and the Col- uh, and the Colts and then the Titans and the Texans. Like, I already had the Titans above the Colts. I already had the Titans above the Texans. So now the the two-horse race in this division I still think is there. I don't know how much this brings the Titans closer to the Jags in my personal opinion, but I do think at least separates them from the Colts and Texans a little bit more.
3: Uh, I agree with that. I just think this ends up delaying the inevitable in Tennessee, and that's them switching quarterbacks. At some point in the season. And I don't I just don't really know if it changes the trajectory of the AFC South, Matt. So I don't know about you, but I went in and added
2: my Jaguars
3: position yesterday.
2: Well, it, it certainly I was hoping that the drift was going to be real. We were seeing it drift a little bit yesterday, and I might have done the same had it continued to drift. It seems like the prices have kind of rebounded now and gotten back to where they were. But I was I was I was like, man, is this thing really gonna get down to 140, 130 on the Jags? Cause people are loving the Titans so much. I mean, listen, we've seen this. Twice already with this Titan squad, they go out and sign these old dusty receivers and think that it's going to make a difference. Robert Woods, Julio Jones—we've already seen both of those fail. I'm not saying that DeAndre Hopkins is is as crusty as those guys were, but listen, it's certainly—he's on, on the wrong side of thirty. We know that, and we see that wide receivers once they hit the wrong side of thirty, the decline can be very, very rapid. And so, I don't know, man. I—he's I, still—he's still getting ball thrown to him from from Ryan Tannehill. Exactly. I mean, it's it's still Ryan Tannehill throwing him ball. So, I don't know how we'd look at this and go, oh, that's it. That's, <laughs> you know, that's what's going to bring him over the top. He's great. Sure. His quarterback sucks. We'll touch on this a little bit later as well. Paul Spohr coming up next.
1: A numbers game on v the sports betting network.
2: The NFL betting guide is out now, and our college football betting guide is coming in a couple of weeks. Only VSIN Pro subscribers get all the tools to prep for the college and NFL seasons. Our experts provide profiles of every team with advanced stats and power ratings, plus best bets on futures and season win totals. Sign up before the end of July and receive both guides and a full VSIN Pro access all the way through the Super Bowl for this early bird discount of 175 American, or sign up on a monthly subscription and get your first 30 days for only $19 to see everything VEASAN has up to to up your betting game. Offer ends on July the 31st, though, so don't miss out on these preseason deals. VEASAN.com slash subscribe. Get on over there. Get that. 175 bucks Kelly there's a little bit of confusion and I've seen this and I just want to clarify but people go why would I pay the 175 when it's when it's 19 like you no know, from no that's the introductory like dip your toe in 19 bucks and then it goes to like whatever the regular price is after that it's only for a month the mm-hmm. 19 bucks the, the 175 saves you money over the course of now till the end of the Super Bowl just take our word for it
3: and it gets you everything
2: yes take our word for it with with that that's right i heard people go like no i'll just pay the 19 bucks a month and whatever like no it's not 19 bucks it's 19 for the first month and then it goes to regular price after that
3: yeah sean
2: so we have to just kind of we have to (laughs) we have to explain this because like i'm like you know what you have a point if it was only 19 bucks a month but that's not the case so go ahead get that uh pro subscription and listen the main thing that you kind of get in all of this outside of just, you know, all of the Bill 80 goes in and does this ridiculous recap email every single day. So you you don't have to sit and listen to every single show to get every single pick. And so that's another thing that you get with the VEASAN Pro subscription. Totally worth it. Go ahead. It's worth it. Uh, all right. So let's talk to Paul Spore, your friend and mine, over at Fangraphs. If you're not reading and listening to his content, what is your problem? You can find him all over the place at Sporer as well. Paul, how's it going, buddy? It's going very well. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, and I need to ask you a hypothetical because, listen, we're in hypothetical season, okay? The drumbeat is getting a little bit louder now that the Angels are flipping out of contention for even a wild card spot of, hey, what do the Angels do with Shohei Otani? I think you and I, if we sat here just in our rational minds, that if we were GMs of this team, we would understand that the best thing for the franchise overall would to be would be to get something back for Shohei as opposed to just let him walk. We could say, oh, he's going to get compensatory picks, but we know how baseball picks work. Like, it's it sure. is not like NFL first-round picks, right? I mean, it is, it is hit and miss, certainly. So you want something in return. Do you think this is actually going to happen? Do we think we see Shohei
4: Otani in a different uniform at some point this season? I think the percentage chances is is pretty high. I I was, I wasn't thinking that like Washington was necessarily going to trade Soto. And of course it's two different organizations, two different situations, but I'm certainly more open to teams trading these big pieces. Now understanding that if they're just going to lose them, like you said, and get nothing, that is way more damaging than taking that kind of massive PR hit of, wow, we traded this guy, you know, Boston trying to do the same with, with bets, they, they flopped on that. They also are Boston. They have no reason to have to not pay somebody like a bets, but you know, we've seen it work on the negative end there. I do think Nats fans, as much as they love Soto and as great as he is, they realize how far away they were and, and have some favor toward that Soto trade, at least in terms of the way it's looking with some of the returns that they got, you know, Gore pitching pretty well this year at times uh, you've got um James Wood as a big time prospect, Robert Hassel. So it really depends what they can get to. It is still a rental of Otani, but it's one of the greatest players we've literally ever seen. So it still has to be a pretty massive return. I think they really, really, really have to entertain it. They got to see what the offers are out there. It's just such a mess right now with them, you know, trout back on the IL them fading again after a decent start is the same old story groundhog day over there. So before he walks, cause we know they're not going to sign Otani. They do need to consider trading him.
2: Yeah, and I think what we look at here, you certainly remember when Shohei was coming over here, the landscape has changed as well. Because if you listen to people, we don't really hear directly from the horse's mouth and stuff like this, but we hear people who are close to him who we know when he came over, the Angels were just a benefit of location, geography, right? He wanted to be on the West Coast, and that narrows down, you know, a vast majority and eliminates a ton of the teams. From what we're hearing is maybe that whole needing to stay on the West Coast thing might be kind of fading a little bit, and he might be opening to signing basically anywhere. And if that's the case, it is a rental, Paul, but it's also like, hey, you can kind of get your foot in the door as well with with, with that. And so I think that that's another thing that some of these teams have to consider.
4: Yeah, I think the the most serious teams on the trade should be the ones that are looking to to sign him. Now, you do have to pay draft uh, trade capital and then the, the contract, but you're also getting two months of him in October if you're a true contender. So there's a lot of benefits there. The price is really what's going to drive it. It's going to be substantial. You're not getting away, giving some poo-poo platter of mid and low tier prospects. There's going to have to be a big A-plus piece in there to make it worth it for the Angels. But I do think it is going to be worth it for a a team to do that. And obviously, there's been so much chatter about the Dodgers. They kept their powder dry this year for Otani. They're still a remarkably stocked uh, farm system. They could do the deal and, of course, get the uh, contract done next year. There's not a a ton of teams that can do that, but obviously those are the teams that should really be involved here. I think if you just rent him with the, uh, you know, fully thinking that it's going to be a rental and we're not really going to competitively try to sign him next year, I worry about that because the draft capital is gonna be or trade capital is gonna be substantial for Otani.
2: So, Paul, from a from a betting standpoint here, I mean, he is the overwhelming favorite to win the MVP, but there is a non-zero chance that a national yeah. league team could in fact make the trade for him. I mean, we know that at least the Mets have been floated out there. You just mentioned the Dodgers. There's a couple of other teams as well who who knows when it's all said and done. So what would then the American League MVP market look like in your opinion?
4: A free for all really. Mm. I mean, you start talking Robert Franco, uh, a Texas guy, whether, whether you're Simeon, um, Adelise Garcia has the war. He's up there in that mix. I am more of a Simeon guy. I think uh, a Jose Ramirez puts himself back in the picture. Then you got guys on all these teams that are either fully in competition or fringe competitors. And the narratives are going to be written down the stretch. It becomes such a wide open field I don't even know who I'd handicap as the top guy if you're just going straight fan graphs war it's Luis Robert by a shred .1 that's literally nothing uh with over wander franco so and that's you know that's a competitive team and a non competitive team which I don't believe that the MVP can't be uh, can be on a I believe they can be on a bad team mm-hmm. if they're the best player because it's just the most valuable but we know those narratives get written where it can lean away from the guy on the lesser team, especially if he's not heads and shoulders above that becomes a tiebreaker that works in the favor. So I would start to look at the rays and Rangers guys and kind of pick my favorite from there. And maybe you do it early here on a spec with like a quarter or a half unit bet. Uh, in the hopes that Otani gets dealt, because obviously the prices are going to change drastically the moment he's dealt out of the American League, if and when he is. I think it also changes the Cy Young market a little bit. Otani's not the favorite for the Cy Young right now, but he's in the mix, mm-hmm. so that would also alter those uh, uh, th- that bet market as well. The
2: American League East is certainly very interesting, right? I mean, we have every team over 500, and, and you know some of these teams, of course, the, the Yankees who are in this, the cellar, the Red Sox who are tied with them at 50 and 44 would actually be leading the Central if, if they were in the Central. So we have a, a really, really good division here. Tampa up by one on the Orioles. When you look at how this is all going to, to to play out here, Paul, what do you think eventually is going to be the team to win the division and how many of these teams end up making the playoffs?
4: I I think they can send three. Um, a lot of it's going to depend on how the trade deadline goes which I know is an unsatisfying answer because it it, it is a full it depends when it's this close you know the Rays have been hemorrhaging a a stud starter seemingly like every six weeks and it's really hard to keep up pace when you're doing that and now we see that there they are uh, just one game ahead of Baltimore right now six ahead of Toronto so they're not a guarantee at all I really really do like this Baltimore team they seem to call up a stud prospect every six weeks they've got some interesting pitching. If they go out and get another like front ish arm, maybe not a superstar top tier, but like another guy who can miss bats consistently be up there with Kyle Bradish and Tyler Wells. I really, really like where Baltimore's at. I think they're probably my, my favorite right now, even though they are behind Tampa Bay. I just worry, you know, is Tampa Bay going to add pieces the constant losses are tough. Of course, McClanahan gets back, but losing Rasmussen and Springs, they seem to always have somebody ready to backfill. But I am starting to get worried about how that pitching is looking, especially with Taj Bradley not really filling in one of the roles. When Springs and, and Rasmussen got hurt, you thought Bradley would cover one of them. And then it's a McClanahan Bradley one, two punch. We're not necessarily seeing that. I think they're still a good team. I still think they make the playoffs, but I like the O's to win the division.
2: Paul, I always run out of time with you. I enjoy sitting here talking baseball. So we've only got about 30 seconds. Do you have any bets in the account for today?
4: Uh, Nothing going yet today. I'm looking at the short slate, but I I haven't really given it a a deeper thought yet. It's an interesting pitching slate because there's a lot of good guys out there. I was doing my fantasy rundown of it. There's only like four guys that I wouldn't recommend in any sort of fantasy capacity. So I think it's going to be an interesting board, but I haven't done my deep dive yet.
2: He is Paul Sporer. You can find him on all the platforms out there at Sporer. And Paul, always enjoy the time, buddy. I really do enjoy talking baseball with you. Hopefully we do it again this summer.
4: Matt, great talking with you. Take
2: care. Shohei Otani and where could he end up? We are going to hear that on every single talk show for the next two weeks. It is going to happen like it's going to be crazy whenever we take a look at Shohei Otani what he could mean to a team's playoff hopes. We'll get back to the NFL here on the other side.
0: A numbers game on v the Sports Betting Network.
2: Attention, BetMGM customers. If you have a friend who loves sports as much as you do, here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through the BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your app, click on the Refer-A-Friend program button, and send your friend a message inviting them to register an account in the same state that you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, you'll both receive a $50 bonus. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. You must be 21 years of older or older to wager all promotions are subject qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards are issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets do expire after 30 days. If you have a gambling problem, 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Mississippi or Nevada. So, Kelly, let's swing back around to the NFL, and I don't want to blow past the whole DeAndre Hopkins thing and certainly what that means for the AFC South. And we look at these odds, and, and over – listen, this was drifting. People get excited about moves and excited about trades. And so the the stuff was coming in fast and furious yesterday. It seems like maybe the market has gone back around and started to correct itself at least a little bit as we take a look at these different things. But it's 155 on the Jack now 350 on the Titans over at, uh, over at DraftKings. And it seems at MGM, maybe you get a little bit better number on all of that. So I take a look at this and I say, the Jags, to me, still have the best roster in the division. The Jags still have the highest chance of winning this division. Does this bring the Titans a little bit closer to them? I think a little bit closer, for sure. Having to not rely on Traylon Burks as your number one option and having him be able to kind of settle in as your, let's call him a 1B. Let's call it 1A, 1B. I don't think he'll be a true number two because I do think that we've the best, the best days of DeAndre Hopkins are behind us. So now you have Traylon Burks, who the pressure of trying to be a true number one is a little bit alleviated for him. If you're Ryan Tannehill, having more weapons certainly is good for you. If you're Derrick Henry, got to be better to have some more threats out there on the wide receiver side. So, yes, I do think the Macy's team is better. Now, does it make them so much better where I think that the, it's a realistic shot for them to win this division? I can't quite – get there through all of this, because at the end of the day, it's still Ryan Tannehill throwing the ball. If Ryan Tannehill is not going to be the guy, it's still going to be Will Levis, who's a rookie, who's going to be throwing the ball. So for me, I still like the Jags here, Kelly. I think if anything, maybe a Traylon Burks passing prop, I mean receiving prop, I actually think is, is better now than it was before. I, I would be looking more towards an over, and I know that seems counterintuitive. And yeah, there will be a couple – less targets heading his way, but there'll probably be higher quality targets. Like, they are probably going to be targets in which he's getting the second best defender on him as opposed to the best defender or not getting double teamed because they don't care about the other receivers that are on the field and, and them getting hurt. So, if anything, I kind of think this helps Traylon Burks, mm-hmm. certainly, and it's only like a 675 and a half number that's tagged on him right now from receiving aspect, and like, I think that I think that's probably good for him. I think he did, you know, less pressure, secondary defenders, maybe less double teams, all the different things that you're looking for whenever you're trying to get an over from a receiving prop standpoint.
3: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. Take, yeah, takes away some of the uh, double teams even he mm. might see this year because, and you might want to chuckle at that at home, but that that wide receiver room was pretty bleak yes. <laughs> before DeAndre Hopkins got at it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think his presence on the field is only going to open things up for Traylon um, and. Uh, you know, the quarter, even if a quarterback change occurs, I don't know if that really hurts him as much because you're still going to be playing him mm-hmm. a ton. Levis, if you think gets in there, he's probably going to be, you're probably going to want to see more out of his arm to begin with than what, what you would have seen out at Tannehill mm-hmm. to start the season anyway. So, yeah, I, I think that's an interesting bet. and. I don't know what range you were looking for. When it hit 150 yesterday, I got back in on the yeah. ja- I, I added to my Jags position. Mm-hmm. That's where that's where I had initially betted at was right in that range. I'm like, look, if this gets back to this, I it doesn't really change that much for mm-hmm. me. What, what do I think this probably does for the Titans is just extend – extend the amount of time they think they have hope with yeah. the, how the roster's
2: currently constructed. And, and like I said earlier, I do think it it does kind of separate them at least a little bit more from the Colts and sure. a little bit more from the Texans. So that does make you look at that 7.5 win total at least a little bit harder because that's four games you're talking about. I mean, like that, that you get four games between the Colts and the Texans. And so if you already thought that this Titans team was better than the Colts and the Texans, which I imagine any anyone and everyone did already – and if this separates them a little bit more, well, then now these games become much more winnable. And, and that's four of the eight games you need to get to the over, right? Are there four more wins on that schedule? And that's for you to determine. But mm-hmm. I think that's at least a number for you to look at and say, okay. Maybe this doesn't make me think that they're going to win this division any, any more than it is. But, hey, if I'm a little bit better against the Colts, I'm a little bit better against the Texans, that's four of the eight that I've got to get to to get to an over on the seven and a half number. And I think that's at least maybe where you can start looking at the Titans if you do want to to place a bet on this team, given the fact that DeAndre Hopkins is coming to town.
3: Yeah, and one of the other things you and I often talk about, but it, it, it's the – Look like look, if you I like the Jags. I love the Jags in this division. I still love it even after the DeAndre Hopkins trade. If you yeah. wanna tell me you love the Titans in this division and you wanna make a division bet at plus three fifty, plus three eighty in that range wherever it's at, I it's hard for me to hate on it, Matt, simply because this is this is really a two-team division, right? Yeah. Like it's not that you got to go out there and beat three other teams. All you got to do is go out and beat the Jags, or maybe the Jags beat themselves. You and what I mean by that is maybe an injury occurs or something like that, and this Titans team all of a sudden is wow, there's really nobody in front of us. That could happen. That is that's part of the reason why I'm making the Jags bet. And that's part of the reason why out there, if you're making a Titans bet,
2: why you would be making one. If you're watching at home, we're gonna pull up the Titans schedule. And this is why it makes it a very difficult team to bet, because there are other factors in play here. So if you want to bet, the easy thing would be would be, Kelly, where I just go, hey, if you want to bet the over on the season win total for the Titans wait until the bye week, and then come in and bet it after that, right? I mean, because yeah. they look, they start out on the road at the Saints, then it's Chargers, Browns, Bengals. Now, you do get the Colts in week five, but then it's Ravens as well. You're looking through the first six weeks of the season where this team could easily be two and four. One and five is not out of the realm of possibility. And in, in three and three, I think, would be the very, very, very best-case scenario for them, and I don't think that that's very likely either. So... It, after the bye, you do now come out of the bye game against the Falcons. We don't know exactly how good Desmond Ritter is going to be. That game is certainly winnable. The Steelers, while I think they are a better team, and I'm actually probably a little higher on the Steelers, and a lot of te- people are, that's not a a, a – game in which you look at it and think that that's no way we're going to win that. Mm-hmm. Then you get the Bucs, who are going to be down, who are going to be one of the worst teams in the league for sure. Panthers in week 12, still a rookie quarterback. And then is where you get those back-loaded games against the Colts and the Texans, right? The problem being, if you're as bad as we think that maybe they're going to be, or if this schedule really goes against you, now you might be having to win those games with Will Levis as opposed to, to Ryan Tannehill. Yep. So that is why this team is so hard for me, at least to make a preseason bet, I kind of need to... Feel how things are going? What's the scuttlebutt about, are they going to stick with Tannehill? Is is Levis making progress as, as far as like getting Like All of those different things are going to have to, I'm going to have to soak in over the course of the season before I can actually play this team because the wins are kind of backloaded there. It's Colts-Texans twice from week 13 on that week 18 game against the Jags. The Jags might have nothing to play for by the week 18 game when that rolls around, so you might be getting Jags back up, so that might end up being a much more winnable game for them as well, but Again, that's that's all backloaded. It's certainly after the bye week, and I can't come in on any sort of preseason something until we get past week seven.
3: Yeah, I mean, and how that breaks down, I think they're a perfect example. If you, if you kind of if you're someone who ch- you know breaks up the schedule right and looks at it mm-hmm. uh, in third, so what they have the ninth easiest schedule by win totals in the NFL this year, but they have the fourth toughest in those first six weeks, yeah. right? So perfect example of yeah. Look, if you're if you're in on a Tennessee bet, yeah, maybe you want to wait till then and hop. And then, where you actually see what this team is looking like and what, what they're mm-hmm. how they're going to how
2: they're going to attack the rest of the season, as far as their quarterback situation. It wasn't the only news to come out of this division either. Evan Ingram, who was on the franchise tag, does get signed to a three year extension there with this Jaguars team. Certainly looked like the guy that, that looked like the best version of himself. Certainly with this Jags team, and, and I think a very important piece in all of this, you know, whenever we look at this Jags team and think that they are the team that's going to to win this division, the team that possibly could win 10 games. We're looking at a nine and a half win total for this Jags team and, and Evan Ingram a very important part of all of that. If for nothing more, then again, same thing we were talking about with DeAndre Hopkins there in uh in Tennessee. It opens, up things. it opens up things Look, Calvin Ridley's coming back for the Jags as well. And so now the more threats you have out on the field, the more it's going to get some of these other guys open. So that was something that did come out. And, you know, we're going to be watching today pretty heavily, Kelly. I mean, listen, there are some big names out there who are not happy with their contract situations. And we've only got a few hours to find out if they're going to be made happy or not.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, uh, the two big ones on the top of that list, and man, it, Saquon, it sounds like they're sounds like they're not
2: even close to it with right. Like the everything we are hearing is basically that the Giants are more than happy to pay him the franchise money, see how it goes, and then deal with this after the season. And Saquon really does want to get a long term deal and. He's threatened that he would sit out. Now, listen, we have seen this go very, very south. Le- Le'Veon Bell, by the way, let's just talk talk yep. about that. Like, sitting out, not really working in, in one's favor. That being said, Saquon is a little bit younger, it, certainly a little bit more explosive than Le'Veon did when he decided to do all of this. I just don't know if he's actually going to sit out or if this is just kind of one of those empty threats. We'll find out. And again, only a few hours until these guys can either sign those franchise tags or get some sort of extension deal done. Kelly's been out at the NBA Summer League. We're going to get his final thoughts here on how this thing wraps up when we come back.